There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned to this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. Next Steps Forward is focused on resiliency, leadership, personal empowerment, and well-being. I don't know what we could find someone who personifies and epitomizes all those qualities more than today's guest, Brianna Cole. Brianna is an outreach advocate at Sail of Freedom, a faith-based nonprofit anti-human trafficking organization based in Florida in the Midwest with the mission to end sex trafficking and bring freedom to the exploited through five strong programs, awareness, prevention, outreach, residential, and organizational consulting. Brianna works closely with the Florida State Attorney's Office and the Office of Regional Counsel through a court diversion program. She's also a human trafficking survivor. Brianna Cole, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate this opportunity and, and I'm really grateful for, you know, you being so open to share just how bad this issue is in our communities. No, we appreciate your time and certainly uh, your bravery in, in sharing your story with us. And Brianna, I want to say for audience at the top of today's podcast, the United conversation a few weeks ago, in that, as I would with any victim of human trafficking, I have the utmost admiration and respect for you. You've been extremely open and very detailed about your experience because you want others to understand how the same thing could happen to them. You've been willing to answer any questions, but I just want to let everyone know that should there be a question that you don't want to answer or think is inappropriate, that you'll make that very clear to me. Yes. So just as you did a few weeks ago when we first spoke, I'd like to open today by having you share your story. It's very involved, very shocking, and it could happen to so many people, and it does happen to so many, many young people every day. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you and take as long as you'd like, please. Hey, Chris. Uh, so I'll start from the beginning. Um, I'm born and raised here in Florida. I grew up um, in a broken home. The first traumatic experience I remember as a child was when my dad left. Um, he was an alcoholic as well as an addict, um, but I was a daddy's girl through and through. You know, he he was my everything. And even though you know he struggled with substances, like he was my best friend. So. When he left, I was devastated. And my mom, you know, she she did did the best that she could that she knew how. She struggled with um, mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression, and you know, I mean, now that I'm in recovery and I've had some healing, you know, I understand that you know she's been through a lot. Um, so after my dad left, you know, she wasn't able to be there emotionally, um, for my sister and I. And so I sought out attention any way that I could, whether it was, you know, bad attention. Cause in my, in my eyes, that was better than no attention at all. Um, getting in trouble in school and, you know, just dealing with, you know, the, the trauma of my dad not being around, you know, when he left, he stayed gone. Um, until I was 12. I hadn't seen him, talked to him. Um, I think part of it was my mom keeping us from him um, to try to protect us. Um, but of course, as a child, like 
you, you, you're not able to comprehend that. Or I wasn't able to comprehend that. So like, I, I was mad at my mom. I thought that, you know, she, she hates my dad. So she doesn't want us to be around him, you know, obviously having no idea what addiction was or anything like that. Um, so into my teenage years, that attention seeking behavior, like, you know, progressed. Um, I started hanging out with like, you know, the rough crowd and, you know, just trying to, just trying to escape my reality, even from a young age. Um, the first time I ever tried a substance, I was 12, um, you know, hanging out with my middle school friends and just, you know, as soon as I realized like, oh man, I don't have to feel the way that I've been feeling. I can just escape into this substance. I, I was off to the races. Um, so when I was 13, I, my best friend introduced me to her cousin. He was a 15 year old high school dropout, um, pothead addict. Um, but I fell in love. Um, I thought that he was my happily ever after. Um, of course my mom didn't approve of any relationship cause I was young. Um, but I like would sneak and see him behind her back, sneak out of the house um, you know, just hang out with him and smoke weed. And, um, when I was in ninth grade, I got expelled from school for smoking weed on campus. Um, so I went to an alternative school for, you know, for kids that are troubled and drop out or get kicked out. Um, and they drug test you at that school. Um, so my boyfriend, he was, he introduced me to opiates. Um, he was living with his best friend's mom who had like a accident at work. So she was prescribed like a plethora of different, um, opiate medications and she would just give him handfuls of them all the time. And, um, the first time I ever tried it, I fell in love. Um, again, like, you know, constantly seeking to escape my reality, um, and the way that I was feeling inside. I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like who I was and, you know, wanted to do anything that could escape from that. Um, so I kept using, um, and I stayed with this, this boyfriend, um, throughout high school. Um, I ended up I think it, I was either just about to turn 18 or just turn 18. Um, my mom was trying to wake me up for school my senior year. And I was like, I don't want to go to school. You know, I probably hung over from the night before. And she was like, you need to get up or get out. And I was like, fine, bye. And like took that as an opportunity to leave the home. And I moved in with that boyfriend and, you know, continued to use um, then we we were staying with his uncle and he informed us that he was moving out of the house and that we needed to find somewhere to go. Um, and that was the first time that we both became homeless. Um, I did manage to graduate high school by the grace of God. I, I really don't know how I managed that one, but I did. Um, and my progress, my using got progressively worse. Like I started trying harder substances. Um, 15, 16 was the first time I tried meth. Um, you know, just 
just off the wall craziness for such a young age, um, trying to feel different than I felt. Um, dad was in and out of my life. Um, you know, so I turned, uh, I was 18, graduated high school. Um, the boyfriend became super abusive mentally and physically. Um, you know, we would be in knockdown, drag out fist fights in the street over drugs. And uh, when I was 18, I learned that I could use my body to get drugs. And he, he knew that. And I was introduced by like a, a, a friend of mine. Well, obviously she wasn't a friend, but she, you know, had a, a drug dealer, like family member. And, you know, she wanted to make money. So she was like, Hey, you know, I have my uncle, um, that will give you drugs if you sleep with him. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and so my first, uh, I, I experienced my first piece of exploitation, you know, my boyfriend at the time would be like, if you love me, you'll do this. Like, you know, cause he was in the grips of drug addiction and, you know, that's, we, when we're in our active addiction, like we get our, um, drugs by any means. So I got, I finally got away from him. Um, cause I was tired of being homeless, um, and being abused. I was like, you know, if I, if it'd be different, I told myself like, it'd be different if we were homeless and he was treating me like a, a human being, but he wasn't, he was treating me like garbage and super abusive. So, I contacted my dad and I actually moved in with him. Um, and I was so happy. Um, I didn't care that my dad was using, you know, we were using together and I just, I was happy because I was with him, um, as sick as that sounds. And, um, so get away from the boyfriend, you know, living with my dad, still using, still, you know, hardcore using, um, my dad ended up getting arrested because he had a warrant out of Michigan. Um, and I remember him telling me like, when I lived with him, like, if I get arrested, we lose everything. And so, um, like neighbor friend of where we were living at called me and was like, your dad got arrested. He's going to be extradited back to Michigan. And I was just like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And my mom of all people actually bonded him out. And, um, so my dad ended up moving to Michigan. Um, and he offered to let me go with him. I was like, but my friends are here. Like, you know, I don't want to do that. No, no way. It's cold. Ew. No. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to move up there, you know, and if you change your mind, you let me know. I'm like, okay. Um, so fast forward a few months, um, I found out I was pregnant um, and I was terrified. I was like, I can't have a kid. I'm a teenager essentially. And um, I was actually um, sexually assaulted by my step-grandpa. Um he knew that I was on drugs. Like he, he, he essentially helped raise me. So he married my grandmother when my mom was 15. So he's, he's been a part of my life always. 
you know, he, there's picture, he helped me learn how to walk. Um, he was more, he was that father figure when I didn't have one. And, um, so he got a hold of me one day and he was like, Hey, you know, if you get me some girls, I'll pay you. And I was like, haha, you're crazy. That that's, that's insane. Um, he was like, no, I'm serious. So, you know, he took advantage of the fact that he, you know, I was under the influence and in the grips of addiction. And, um, he was like, you know, he lives in Clearwater area. So he was like, you know, I'll get a hotel room. Um, I'll hang out with the girl and then you can, you can hang with me we'll go get dinner. I'll take you shopping. You can even stay at the hotel. We can go in the pool, whatever. All sounded great. Um, well, when I had gone there, I'd been up for a while. Um, and so I crashed and, you know, when I crashed, I crashed and you could like shake me violently and I would not wake up. Um, I woke up, I woke up the next morning and I didn't feel right. Um, I knew something bad had happened, but I just, you know, chose to stuff it down, um, and leave and, and go use so that I didn't have to feel what I was feeling and could just be in denial about it. So again, I found out I was pregnant and I thought that, it was from that situation. Um, so I went to get an abortion, um, and I was sitting in Planned Parenthood lobby, you know, terrified, um, crying. And I think that that's the first time I ever heard God talk to me. It was clear as day. He said, don't do this. It's going to be okay. And that's when I just lost it. I became hysterical. I'm just crying. I probably looked crazy in this lobby. Um, so like I mustered up the courage and walked to the front desk and I, I told the lady, I was like, I can't do this. She was like, okay, do you want some prenatals? I was like, yeah. And, uh, so she, you know, wrote me a prescription for some prenatals and I went out front and I called first person I called was my dad. I was like, Hey, so does that offer still stand? Can I uh, come live with you in Michigan? He was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, okay, come on. <laughs> um, so I moved up there um, to get away from the drugs. You know, my dad, I, he said he wasn't using um, and I believed him and I got up there and he was, he was still using. Um, it wasn't quite that bad yet. Um, but as the months progressed, um, and I got more pregnant, um, he continued to use more and more and it was, it was very bad. And so we lived with his girlfriend and her three kids. And, um, you know, there was one day he was so under the influence, like he couldn't even like walk. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to go. I don't have a driver's license, but I have to go pick up these kids from school. His girlfriend doesn't know how to drive. So I took his car keys and drove in the semi snowy um, road to go pick up these kids. And at that moment, I was like, I have to leave. I cannot do this. I cannot be here. I can't bring a kid into this. 
and he's going to die. I I knew I knew he was going to die. I reached out to my family members. I'm like, you know, cuz I my one of my second cousins was actually the one selling him drugs. I tried to um talk to her and tell her like, "Look, you need to stop. You're going to kill my dad." And I tried to have like a mini intervention, um but it didn't work. So I told myself that it would be best to leave and, you know, stop communication with him. Um, I told myself that, you know, maybe it will hurt less when he dies. Um, so I called my mom and, you know, I had been like updating her throughout my, my stay in Michigan, you know, like, Oh man, it's getting bad. You know? So she kind of, she knew what was going on. And I called her and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to ask, but I, I feel like I have another choice. Um, is there any way that, you know, I could come move back and stay with you for a little bit until I figure out somewhere to go? And she was like, oh, honey, I've already decided. Like, I, I, I knew this was coming and you can come and live with me and you don't have to put a time limit on it. Like, you can you can live with me. And so eight months pregnant, I packed my bags and went to the airport and came back to Florida. Um. I cut off all communication with my dad. Um, there was a bit of a, of a resentment there. Um, looking back on it, you know, like I've struggled with guilt for that because like, who was I to judge him? I'm an addict myself. Um, so I, I did pretty good. Um, you know, I, I did use a couple times when I was pregnant, but you know, was that's it. You know, I, I'm not proud of that, but you know, I wasn't using the entire time. And, um, so my daughter was born and I stayed clean for about seven months, I think, and started using again, you know, I wasn't, um, working any sort of program of recovery. I was just, you know, simply, staying abstinent. Um, so I relapsed. And so before, before I got pregnant, like I could use opiates and, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like physically dependent on them. It was more mental. Like I didn't get withdrawal or, you know, the physical sickness from, you know, not having opiates. But after I had her, when I relapsed, um, I I became instantly sick the next day and that started the vicious cycle over again. So, um, using got progressively worse and my daughter was almost two. Um, we were living with my mom and a friend of mine, a kid was just like fresh out of jail wannabe drug dealer, full-blown drug addict, just like me. And I'm like, oh, he's kind of cute. And, you know, so broken inside. And, you know, of course I had to make him my boyfriend. Um, So DCF got involved. Um, They came and they told me that um, either you leave this house or we are taking your daughter into foster care. And I was like, nope, no way. Nope. 
there's no way I'm letting that happen. So I left. And um, that's when my boyfriend introduced me to IV drug use. Um, my entire like using career, um, I had always been super against IV drug use. I hated it. I thought it was disgusting. Anytime I found out someone was doing it, I just like lost respect for them. I, t- I was like, it was like one of those things that I said I was never going to do. Um, you know, being so hopeless and, you know, getting kicked out of my home, um, you know, situation with my daughter. I, I was like, you know what, whatever, like, I don't have anything to lose. Why not? And I think in retrospect, I think that was all part of this plan. Um, because so we were at, um, a mutual friend's hotel room and I guess she, she talked to him and he came to me and he was like, you know, you can start working. Like you can sleep with these guys and I can get a bunch of dope and sell it and we won't be homeless. And, you know, I wasn't a stranger to selling my body. Um, I'd done it before. So, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, but I also didn't want to be homeless again. Um, I remembered sleeping behind a gas station at 18 years old, homeless. I didn't want to do that again. Um, so I said, okay. And, um, start, started selling myself. Um, he would post the ads and, um, you know, he started getting extremely physically abusive. Um, I didn't want to do it anymore. And by this time I didn't have a choice. Um, you know, we, I mean, yes, we were, we weren't technically homeless, but we were homeless. We were in and out of hotels and, you know, he would beat me up so bad that, um, the hotel manager would kick us out. Um, you know, not ask if I'm okay or if I need help or anything like that. I have bruises and red marks all over me. And they're like, you have to go, you know, this, you can't be here. Um, so, you know, I just kept using more and more and more. Um, and, you know, to try to hide that trauma and, you know, to, I didn't have any hope. Um, I thought that this is, uh, I told myself like, you deserve this. Like you chose drugs over your daughter. You deserve this. And, um, so I stayed and, you know, the drugs, I thought that the drugs were like helping me through it. You know, it, it was, it was masking. It was just masking. Um, so I finally got away from him. Um, he ended up actually trading me to a drug dealer for drugs. You know, he was, I don't know if he was withdrawing or just desperate, but he, he traded me and, um, I was staying with this drug dealer and I think he was pretty delusional. I think he thought that, um, I was going to, you know, be his girlfriend or something like that. And, you know, I had just done a bunch of drugs and he was like, all right, we're going to bed. And I was like, Oh, no, I'm not going to bed. Um, so he kicked me out. 
so it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting out front of this hotel room, like not, not knowing what my next steps are, you know, I'm just sitting there and, um, a girl about my age comes, you know, uh, stumbling up to me, you know, she was pretty drunk at the time. And, um, she asked me for a cigarette and we were just talking and I, you know, I just explained my situation. Um, you know, didn't, didn't share with her that, um, I just escaped my boyfriend trafficker, but just told her, you know, I'm, I don't know where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. And then another guy and female walk up and, you know, she tells them like, Hey, you know, she, she doesn't know where she's going to go. Like maybe she could stay with us. And the guy was like, yeah, I mean, we have two rooms. You can stay with us. It's not a problem. And I had that gut check. I was like, this can't be good. You know, um, this just can't be good. The the guy was like super flashy and the girls were like dressed skimpy. So I'm like, you know, this is, this is not a good situation, but again, I didn't want to be homeless. I didn't want to have to be outside for the next, however long. Um, so I said, okay, I ignored that red flag and, you know, went with them. Um, turns out this guy was trafficking them. Um, they were from Atlanta and they had two rooms at that hotel, that same hotel. Um, and the, the girl that he walked up with was his main girl, which is what a lot of people call a bottom, um, who, you know, helps recruit other women. And, you know, it's just his main girl. Um, so I stayed in the room with him and his bottom and the original girls was, was in the other room. Um, we didn't know this, but like she, the original girl, like had been in contact with her mom and her mom knew that she was being trafficked and actually filed a missing persons report, um, and knew she was in Sarasota. So we overslept past checkout. Um, and the girl comes knocking on the door and says, the cops are coming. And the trafficker lost his mind. He was so mad. He was like, oh, you get in the car right now. And um, by this time, like, I'm starting to feel dope sick because, you know, I hadn't had drugs since the the night before. And um, I just get in the car because what else, what else am I going to do? And um, I get in the car and I woke, I pass out and I woke up and we were almost to Miami. <laughs> and I lost my mind. I was like, are you crazy? Like, I can't go to Miami. You need to take me back right now. And he was like, he kind of just like had this sinister smirk on his face. And he was just like, what would you think you were going to stay with us for free? Like, no, we're going to put you to work. And, um, you know, I kind of just, I had nothing, no choice, but to kind of accept that. Um, I didn't know these people. I didn't know him or what he was capable of. Um, I, I could tell that, um, you know, the females were afraid of him. And, um, so we stayed in Miami for a few days and, um, we come back up to Sarasota. This was around July, around July 4th. And, um, he was originally saying that, oh no, we're going to go to St. Pete or Clearwater. We're going to stay up there. You know, there's a lot of money up there. And I was like, no, 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 let's go to Sarasota. Like I know people there and, you know, um, you know, kind of trying to plan like an escape route. Um, so 
I guess they had been in contact with another female um, and they were going to, they were setting it up to like go and pick her up to bring her so that he had three of us. Um, But what they didn't know is it was really the law enforcement that they were communicating with. Um, And she was a minor, the girl was a minor. So she went to the hospital and, you know, said, Hey, look, there's this guy, he's trafficking women. He's um, very abusive physically. And he, you know, he needs to be stopped. So we get to the hotel in Sarasota and me and the original girl stayed at the hotel while the trafficker and his bottom went to go pick up the minor. Um, And so when they went to uh, pick her up, the police were there and arrested them. And, you know, you'd think that my first response would be like, oh man, I need to get out of here. Like get away from these people. Right. But once they left, I was like, Nope, I have to get drugs like that. That's what I have to do. And um, so I invited one of my drug dealer friends over and, you know, we were we were on the second story um, of the hotel and we were getting ready to walk to the gas station next door. And the door was open because we were about to leave. And this guy wearing khaki pants and like a button up shirt, like a nice haircut, clean shaven, you know walks past and looks in the room and we just stop in our tracks. And we're like, did you just see that? Like, what was that? That was sketchy. Um, a couple like, I mean, it felt like forever, but it was probably only like a minute later he walks back and then he walks in the room and he says, are you so-and-so um, to the girl? And she said, yes. And we're both terrified. Like we're thinking like we're going to jail And he looks at both of us and he says, we have sway in custody. You're safe. And we both started crying. Um, You know, I I still wasn't convinced that I wasn't going to jail. You know, I'd never been in this type of situation before. And then more and more cops keep showing up and like, I'm starting to freak out. I have drugs in my pocket. And I guess so before, before the law enforcement came, they reached out to Sayla Freedom. And said, hey, you know, we have this um, this guy who's trafficking women. We're about, we're, we just took him, we just taken him into custody. Um, we're thinking there might be more than one victim. Um, will you come to the scene? And it, her name is Misty. She came to the scene and she was so gracious. And, you know, she's, she asked both of us, you know, hey, would you mind, you know, coming to the police department and, you know, answering some questions. And I was like, Oh no, we are not going to the police department. No way. You know, kind of like putting on this facade that I wasn't scared when in reality I was terrified. Um, she was so, so sweet. And she was like, okay, well, how about we go to my office? And I was like, okay, but first I need cigarettes (laughs) or I'm not going. And she was like, okay, that's fine. And, you know, we went to the gas station. She bought me a pack of cigarettes and we went to her office. And, you know, I don't really remember too much from, you know, what we were talking about. I know that she was offering us both services and saying like, you know, you don't have to live this way anymore. We have a way out. Like we have a program if you're willing to, you know, do the work. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to face my trauma. I wasn't ready to stop using Um, 
you know, the, the girl, the original girl, she's like, she said yes. And came into the program that night. Um, like I said, I wasn't ready. So, you know, she was still so graceful and was like, okay, you know, didn't try to push anything on me or force anything on me. And, um, the, the girl that was also there, she ended up um, having a seizure. Uh, I've never seen anything like that before. And I was terrified. So we went, ended up going to the hospital and I, um, went to the bathroom and actually like passed out because I was so under the influence and they ended up leaving. And I called Misty and I was like, where'd you go? Like, I'm still here at the hospital. I fell asleep in the bathroom. And so she contacted law enforcement and was like, Hey, you know, this, this girl's still at the hospital. You need to march when after she's going to like end up killing herself. Um, so it took me, I want to say like a year and a half, um, to finally become ready. And, you know, in that, in that year and a half, like I would, Misty would randomly show up in my life. And like, whether it was like, I ended up going to jail for something unrelated and I was, they had called like, do we have any volunteers to join Sailor Freedom group? And I was like, huh, I wonder if Misty's there. I mean, I had already like paid my bond and was just waiting to get um, formally released and stuff. But I went and I went to group and she was just staring at me like she couldn't quite figure out where she knew me from. And I was like, you know me. And I was like, it's, it's Brie, it's Brianna. And she was like, oh my God, I saw someone driving today and I swear I thought it was you. I was like, no, I was in here. And she was like, well, so are you ready for some help? And I'm like, oh, I'm actually bonding out. So no, no, thanks. And she's like, okay, well, you know, let me know. We'll be here. And, um, I continued to use, um, a lot, like more than I had ever used before. And and then now it was IV use. So, you know, that it did a lot of damage to my body. Um, I ended up in the hospital with an abscess on the tip of my finger from IV drug use. And, um, it was extremely infected and, um, you know, they told the hospital, I got admitted to the hospital and the doctor came and told me, she was like, you know, you can either stay here on seven weeks or four, seven weeks on IV antibiotics with a chance that you still might not save your finger or we can amputate it, you know, cause the infection had got down to the bone. It was just the, the very tip of my middle finger, like that first knuckle. I was like, can I think about it? It's a kind of a big decision. And <laughs> She was like, yeah, of course. And so I was like, you know what? Just, just take it off. I can't be here for seven weeks. I can't be here alone with my thoughts for that long. I can't. Um, so I had the tip of my finger removed and, um, I was on the care unit, um, at the Sarasota Memorial hospital where, you know, it's for people with drug related illnesses and, you know, there's a camera and an alarm on the bed and, you know, it's pretty, pretty high, um, security, um, somehow managed to get someone to bring me drugs and a syringe. And I got caught trying to, you know, prepare it. The nurse was like, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing, nothing. And, you know, she took the blanket off the bed and the syringe fell on the floor. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, give it back. 
you know, thinking that she's, she, she might actually give it back to me. She was like, no, I can't do that. It's like, okay, then I'm leaving. And she was like, you just had a piece of your body removed. You can't leave. And I was like, yeah, I can, I'm leaving. And I left and continue to use. And the, you know, I would say probably a week goes by and, um, my hand starts swelling. I was too afraid to take off the bandage. I was like, I'm pretty sure there's stitches, but I'm afraid to take it off. And it was just, just craziness. Like the logic of someone who's, or the lack of logic of someone who's using, it's just, it blows my mind today. Anyway. So the infection actually spread to my blood and, um, it was, it was really bad. Um, I ended up getting admitted to the hospital and, you know, I ended up total in total over 40 days at the hospital fighting this infection. Um, but I kept leaving against medical advice because, you know, again, alone with my thoughts, alone with the trauma, not having any, any sort of healing. Um, but you know, Sayla showed up, they showed up, um, they brought me an Easter basket full of candy, like a NA book. And just, you know, just like, who are these people? And like, what do they want from me? You know, I still had that kind of street mentality, you know, on top of like the trauma of, you know, losing people's trust. And, you know, I wasn't sure that they didn't want anything from me yet, but they kept showing up. And um, so I had emergency surgery on my other, no, it was, I had emergency surgery on my hand um, in January of 2017, while I was getting that emergency surgery, my dad passed away of an overdose. Um, I didn't know until like the next day or so when, um, you know, cause when the, the surgeon was preparing me to go into surgery, he was like, is there anyone that I can call to let them know like that you're okay after surgery? And I just said, no, there's no one, no one cares about me there, you know, my mom's disowned me. Like my sister hates me. There's nobody. He's like, really? There's nobody that I can call. And I was like, well, I guess you can call my mom. And that's the only way she knew I was at the hospital. And that's when she came and told me that my dad had passed away. And um, it was really hard for me. Um, I had a warrant while I was in the hospital and ended up going straight from the hospital to jail. And um you know, so I wasn't really able to process um, or grieve the death of my dad. Um, it was really, it was really hard for me, especially because like, I knew that it was happening. And like, you know, like I had said earlier, like I thought that cutting off contact would make it easier when he passed away. Boy, was I wrong. It was hard. Um, so you know, I ended up um, going to jail one last time um, in May of 2017. Um, I had court. This It was like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and I had court at like 8 a.m. that day. And uh I was like, okay, well, I, I know I'm going to jail. I have a warrant. So I'm going to go try to get some drugs because who wants to go to court sober? Not me. 
um, knew I was going to jail. So, but like that, you know, it was like Jekyll and Hyde, like part of me knew that I needed help and wanted it. But the, the other part of me, like could not stop using, I couldn't. Um, so I was with my friend and we, we ended up getting pulled over. Um, and for a split second, I was like, oh man, I have this other girl's ID in my wallet. I should just, you know, she kind of looks like me. I should just give him this fake ID and, you know, cause I knew I had a warrant. I was like, no, you want, you need this. You want, you, you need to get help. And I just gave him my, my real ID and, um, you know, they ended up taking me to jail in Sarasota. My court date was in Manatee. So I went to Sarasota County Jail and I was out on bond for a, a different charge. And so the next morning, my bail bonds woman picked me up from jail and she was like, I'm taking you to Manatee County Jail to surrender you because, you know, that's how it works with bond and stuff like that. And it was really cool because she she was a recovering addict and, you know, she spoke into me and, you know, said, like, this isn't this isn't the life that you want. You were, you were made for more. And so she took me to Manatee County jail and I went to first appearance, I think that day or the next day. And, um, they were like, Miss Cole, you're here because you didn't show up to court on May 10th. And I was like, um, your honor, I didn't show up to court because I was in jail in Sarasota County. And he was like, okay, supervised release and hits the gallon. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, I'm getting out. I'm getting out of jail. This is awesome. Again, Jekyll and Hyde, because half of me like really wants this and really wants to change and get help. But then the other half is like being taken over by my addiction. Um, so I went back to medical. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go, I'll take a nap. And, you know, by the time I wake up, they'll be telling me to roll it up. It's time to go. Well, I woke up like six hours later and I was like, why am I still here? Turns out I still had bond on, an, on another charge. Um, so I went to general population and better believe my addiction had me on that phone trying to get someone to pay my bond to get me out. Knowing that I need help and want help, still trying to, you know, trying to use. And then God stepped in once again Um I ended up getting into like an argument with um, one of my cellmates and ended up getting sent to lock, which is jail inside jail. And um, they, they sent me to like, um, they called it DR court disciplinary review court because of the altercation that I got in. And they were like, okay, well, we're sentencing you to 22 days in lock. And, you know, if you know anything about lock, uh, no outside contact, no phone calls, no visits. Um, you're lucky if you get to go outside once a week, only showered three times a week. I think, um, it was terrible, but on the 21st day of that 22 day sentence, I went to court and signed for the sale of freedom program. And um, you know, I, I was scared. I was, I was scared to take that leap and, uh, you know, go into the unknown and to face my trauma. But you know what? I was like, I cannot 
have my daughter feel how I felt growing up or feel how I felt when my dad died of an overdose. Like I, I cannot let that be my story or her story. And, um, I surrendered. I went into the Sayla Freedom program through the Tyler Court Diversion Program. Um, it took me 15 months to graduate. Uh, um, I was a little, still, I'm still a little stubborn and hardheaded. Um, you know, so I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me. Um, but I did it. I graduated the program, um, through the program received very intensive trauma therapy. They call it trauma resolution treatment, um, with Dr. Quintal and associates. Um, I basically learned how to live because I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know. All I knew was using and trauma. And, um, that was the best decision I've ever made. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here today alive because of the grace from God and the opportunities from Sailor Freedom. Um, two months after I graduated, I got hired on staff. Um, I knew going like, you know, when I was going through the program, I was like, I have to do what Misty does. I have to be that person for people. Like I have to, I have to, that's my goal. That's, that's, that's what God, what God is calling me to do. And that's what I do now. Um, I find these women, I don't give up on them. I, you know, miss, I remember Missy telling me like, let me love you until you learn to love yourself. And that's exactly what Sayla Freedom did for me. And now I love myself. I have a relationship with my daughter. Um, I have a relationship with my mom and my sister and um, I help women that went through the same thing or, or are currently going through the same things that I've been through. And it's just, it's just incredible. And I have a life today that I could have never imagined possible. Wow. That's all I can say. Brianna, thank you for sharing your extraordinary and harrowing story of what you've done and congratulations to what you're doing now. You know, I, I guess the, the one question I have for you, um, you know, what advice would you give to someone who suspects that they or, or someone they know may be a victim of human trafficking? Um, reach out, call the national human trafficking hotline or the sale of freedom hotline. Um, you know, gain awareness on the different signs of trafficking because it, it, it can look different. And, you know, a lot of people, when they think of human trafficking, they think of the movie taken and yes, like it, it, it does happen that way in, in other countries, but it can look very different for different people. So like educating yourself on the different signs and, you know, reaching out, um, it'll save someone's life. Brianna Cole, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And if you suspect someone is being trafficked, please call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888. Again, that's 888-373-7888 or call the Sailor Freedom Hotline, 888-837-3363. The website is sailafreedom.com. That's S-E-L-A-H freedom.com. I'm Chris Meek. We'll see you same time, same place 
next week. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.